0: I'm Ted. Ted. Nathan And you're listening to Rider Radio.
1: Well, we've got a jam-packed episode for you today. First, going tubeless, changing your tube-type rims into tubeless. It's easier than it sounds, but there are some upsides and some downsides to it. We're also going to talk about a bunch of other things in there to do with rims. And we have the experts from Woody's Wheelworks for that. And then ride sharing, two platforms that allow the average motorcycle owner, you and me, to rent a bike from another rider, or you could put your bike up for rent. And it's supposed to be much cheaper than a traditional rental company. And we also have a quick chat with the new owner of Overland Expo, My name's Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. The tire pump that I have on my bike sits in a soft pannier, and it's been crushed many times when the bike has been dropped on a hard surface. It's bent. It's dinted. It's really taken some abuse. It's called a cycle pump. Yep, the award-winning cycle pump made by Best Rest. Get one for yourself. Cyclepump.com. Hey, Max BMW has four locations. They've been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. They've got a load of parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door. They've got an incredible parts fiche online for you to look at and order your parts, look through exactly what you need. They've got an e-rider newsletter that's free to sign up for. MaxBMW.com. MaxBMW.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear makes American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all makes of motorcycles. You can strap any dry bag to your bike and turn it into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping systems. Their website, greenchiliadv.com. If you get a flat tire on the back of your bike, and you have a tubeless type tire, you can just pull out a plug kit, shove a plug into it and inflate the tire and you're off and running again until you get somewhere where you can put a a proper patch on the inside. If you've got a tube type tire, then you get a flat in the back, you're going to have to pull out your axle, you're going to have to pull the wheel off and go through all the work. And if you've done it, you know exactly what I'm talking about to change that tube. That's why some people try to change their rims from tube type to tubeless. That's the spoked rims. Dirt bikes have spoked wheels. Most adventure bikes have spoke wheels. The reason is flexibility. Rim flexibility. Meaning that when you hit a rock or you slam through a dip, the rim flexes and then returns to its original shape. Well, obviously up to a point. Whereas a cast wheel doesn't have that same flexibility and it's going to crumple long before a spoke type. Now, don't get me wrong. You can still ride a cast rim in dirt and off-road and stuff. You just have to ride accordingly. The spoke rim has been around for a really long time, and it sort of continues to hang in there, even with today's modern technology and highly engineered adventure bikes. Why? Because it works. And so far, nobody's been able to come up with a better system that can replace them, except for one variation that we see right now. Now, As durable as that rim is, the the spoked rim, it does have sort of a a major drawback with it. It leaks. Well, that is unless you use a tube. That's why they're called tube-type rims. Those spokes that allow the rim to flex are mounted by drilling holes in the rim. And therefore, if you don't use a tube, the air is just going to leak out those holes. Now, some manufacturers have come up with new designs for mounting the spokes so they don't have to drill the holes through the rim. They mount the spokes to the very outer edge of a special rim. Now, that has some other drawbacks. One is truing the wheel up becomes very difficult, something you have to take into a professional in most cases. The other is that outer edge is exposed. So meaning if you hit it with a rock or something, it becomes susceptible to damage. So back to the the standard spoked rim now, the the tube type rim. There's a, a number of ways that riders have tried to convert them over the years into tubeless types, all of which have to do with sealing the holes. Now, um, the old method, or at least a lot of people would try sealing them with silicone, maybe wrapping tape around them, etc., with some sort of liquid sealer. But there's a a few systems around nowadays that make it um, much easier to do, give you much better results. So to get into that, um, we decided to get our friends at Woody's Wheelworks back on the show Now, Woody's is a well-known name in the motorcycle industry when it comes to building super tough rims. Over the years, Woody's become an expert for adventure motorcycle rims and all rims for that matter. So when there's a problem to be solved, he's usually the person that people are going to. But nowadays, it's Woody's son, Chris, at the helm. But I understand Woody's still there in the background.
2: He's running. It's still his gig. But I do the day-to-day and, you know, make most of the decisions. But um, he's still active in the company and still, still his, his, uh, baby. So I'm Chris Witte. Uh, we work with Woody's Wheelworks here in Denver, Colorado. Uh, we manufacture motorcycle wheels, uh, for all types of motorcycles. Uh, one of our specialties is the adventure rider market and different adventure motorcycles.
1: Chris, welcome to adventure rider radio. Thank you. What What is it you do at Woody's Wheelworks?
2: Yeah. I'm the general manager here at Woody's Wheelworks. Uh, kind of kind of bridge the gap and get people where they need to go and what they need to do and uh, help to make customers as happy as we can with the newest products available for the adventure rider market, especially when it comes to uh, better quality wheels.
1: Yeah, because the, the adventure rider market, that's that's a big piece of your business, is it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, you know, really got into it about 10, 15 years ago, you know, um, in, because what, we were seeing, you know, we did a lot of Harley wheels and what we were seeing is in the adventure market there, what the quality wasn't there when it came to people who want to go off road. And so we wanted to make something better and kind of provide knowledge, you know, Woody really provided a ton of knowledge about wheels and tires to the community. And that's what it's about. You know, it's like how to help get in the community more knowledgeable and what they actually need to, to get, you know, where they want to go.
1: Do you get a lot of damaged rims in?
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, It's uh, (laughs) most of the stuff that comes in, you know, uh, we can fix, but there's a lot of stuff that just needs uh, a replacement, you know. We certainly, when it comes to adventure riding, you know, the KTM 1190s and 1290s, you know, are constantly the front rims are needing to be replaced or fixed. The R12GS BMWs, you know, get the brunt of it on the front wheel. Uh, The F800s uh, as well and those are the most susceptible to it you know mm. um, heavy heavy
1: adventure bikes and i mean you sort of yeah have to expect heavy it.
2: adventure bikes absolutely put more pressure on the front wheel or are weighted more to you know um and the wheels are designed for a little more street use than what they really advertise and so we try to help make a better wheel for doing more what they advertise which is to go off-road and go where you want to go
1: now I have to ask because you said that. So, so if you've got one of these bikes that has a bit of a soft front rim, what do you do? Is it, is it change the rim out?
2: Yeah, certainly uh, going a little narrower uh, is the quickest fix uh, to get better tire protection over the rim. Um, and then stronger, you know, there's just better quality rims from like Excel, uh, that, you know, can take a little more beating than the stock softer aluminum rims do. Um, One perfect example is like the Triumph 800 comes with an Excel stock and a narrower size. And we see a fraction of those, you know, come through the shop, Um, you know. So that's a simple concept. Um, When it comes to like the tubeless side, you know, that's where this kind of question comes into place is, you know, like, say, the KTM 1190s, they're tubeless from stock. Well, when they bend that rim, the air starts to leak out and that goes the benefit of the tubeless you know right out the door why it's nice to have a tube in the front rim uh to you know keep air in it versus leaking out the side um mm. we can get into that more so
1: yeah yeah no i definitely want to get into that okay so we're going to talk about going tubeless and are a lot of people yeah. coming to you now to convert their rims to from the
2: tube type to tubeless type uh, not i mean a lot it's such a
1: uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I guess what I should say, is it, is it a growing trend or are you seeing people, more people asking
2: for this? Well, absolutely. The, I mean, tubeless, I'd say the last five to 10 years has picked up significantly. Uh, certainly, you know, you can see it with the dealers, you know, from KTM to BMW to, uh, Yamaha, they're all coming up with their own kind of solutions. Um, you know, and really the perfect solution is yet to come, but, um,
1: it's not out there.
2: It's not out there just yet. You know, there's certainly BMWs gotten really close with theirs, I think, in terms of a perfect tubeless rim, you know, inside of that being it won't lose air because of the spokes, you know, to the outside of the rim. Um, But the issue becomes if you go off road, they're prone to bending because they're wider, made from a softer aluminum. And, you know, um, so they have issues with that. So that's where it's imperfect, you know, um, I, I, so.
1: I didn't realize that going narrower was, was going to be a, a stronger rim, but I guess it makes sense. It's a small, it's a, a smaller thing, obviously less leverage on the rim. Also, as you said, more protected by the tire. So something to consider, but doesn't that affect the handling if you, cause you mentioned that you, you often recommend going to a, a narrower rim in the front.
2: Yeah, it's a balance, you know, um, when you're talking quarter of an inch, you know, typically it doesn't affect the handling because the patch of the tire that's on road is not as affected. Uh, but it out to the width uh, the tire can protect it more. Uh, you know, so you don't, you don't see the decrease in handling as much as the increase in off-road performance and off-road, you know, decreasing the chance of bending. Mm. So there's a bit of compromise. That's why it is, you know, like what is it you do most and what is it you know, if you go off road hard, you want to be prepared for that. It's just like tires. Like you, even though you, a TKC 80 might wear out twice as quick as a Hyda now or a Tourance, you want that there for when you go off road because it's just going to perform so much better. Uh, so there's that co- bit of compromise, you know, so.
1: Exactly. That's a totally my thought process too, but it compromises everything, <laughs> isn't it? Even the adventure bike, it's mm-hmm. a compromise.
2: Even the adventure bike, right? like it'd be better to take a four fifty on a single track, but hey, I'm sure. taking my r twelve g s on it yeah then you know uh it, it's it is it only can do so so much, but and also limited by the rider to some extent but uh, yeah, the, we just want to make a more perfect solution and a better solution for the way you in style you ride um, with tubeless, certainly rear wheels are. Uh, make a lot more sense, you know, uh, because you have generally a wider tire. You generally have a wide enough rim that has what's called a safety bead on it, uh, which is a little bead around the inside part of the rim that basically at low tire pressures decreases the chance that the tire can go into the drop center. Most front rims don't have that, especially 21 inch front rims. So they that increases your risk if you don't have that to when you go tubeless um, and you lose air pressure. Um, another thing to factor in a rear wheel, you're more prone to getting a flat. You know, it's just a bigger tire patch on the road or off road. You're going to get it easier to get a nail in it, easier to get uh, whatever may come its way. And then the third factor is it's much harder to do a rear tire change than a front nine times out of 10. You know, uh, the rear tire especially with a chain driven bike is a pain to, you know, anywhere you are. And, you know, it's all especially hard to get the bead off of the tire and off the rim. So it's super nice to be able to have tubeless for a rear to plug it, patch it. It's safer. So we're doing a lot more of the rear tubeless seals, the fronts, you know, um, we still tend to like a tube for off-road. So, so
1: that's your, that's your recommendation. Rear is fine. Front, you probably stick with the tube.
2: You just got to be smart about it. It really depends on how you ride, yeah. So, Africa Twin's a perfect example. You know, it has a nice wide rear rim, uh, has a safety bead on it. It, it, it takes, uh, you know, um, we tighten up the spokes and tr- and seal the wheel and it lasts for a long time. The front wheel is soft rim, wider than the tire, for the tire. It's mainly, it's so prone to bending and it doesn't have a safety bead. So, you're just risking it. If you're taking that off road by sealing it, it's better to have that tube for safety, you know, uh, to hold air if you were to take it off road, you know? So,
1: okay. So, um, just, just walk through, why do some rims have tubes? Why do they need them?
2: Why they need them? Because a lot of times, because the spokes are there, um, you know, the, the nipples, if you don't have a tube in it, uh, the air is going to leak out of them and the tube is holding the air. Um, when it comes to, you know, a non, like a cast wheel that's tube there, those are pretty much gone, you know, really it was in the eighties and nineties, those existed. But in the two thousands, um, you really don't see a cast wheel out there that doesn't have a safety bead and isn't designed to be tubeless. So nowadays it really comes down to the spokes and nipples, you know, uh, needing a tube to keep the air in there. Define safety bead a little more, a little more in depth. The safety bead was the is a little bead around the rim that holds the tire on when you get, uh, basically, when your air pressure goes down. Um, it's a safety feature uh, so that the tire stays up on the bead and doesn't come off of the rim at lower tire pressures.
1: Now, are there advantages and disadvantages of tube and tubeless? And I'm talking factory designs. So in other words, if you, you you get the same bike with a tube type or get the same bike with tubeless uh, rims, is there any advantage or disadvantage to either one other than um, to other than repair or the ease of repair?
2: Yeah, there's some physics to it, right? A lighter, you know, tubes are generally heavier, you know, so a lighter rolling mass mm. uh, with the tubeless. Um, uh, there's questions in science on the friction, you know, certainly a tube has some amount of friction against the tire, whereas a tube list doesn't have the amount of friction um, you know, between the tube and the and the tire. And, you know, that being said, I've never necessarily seen uh, you know, a, a tube get rubbed so uh, thin, you know, especially if you replace it every tire change to where you're actually gonna see that friction, you know, um cost you. Um, but it's why I, you know, majority of racing motorcycles are all tubeless. Uh, they're certainly done at higher heats. And so having the tube in there, you don't want that amount of heat and the air it's better to be, you know, tubeless for that. Okay. So those are some of the physics of it. You know, adventure riding, you don't have that heat factor as much. You don't have that. Um, it more comes down to that flat repair. I mean, that's generally the rolling mass. It doesn't matter as much, you know, it it' it's not like you're, uh, you know, talking pounds, you're talking ounces. Um, And so it really comes more down to repair in the adventure rider market, you know.
1: Right, so that's going to be the deciding factor is whether you're sick and tired of pulling your rear wheel off and and going through all the hassle to do that or if you just want to use a plug.
2: Exactly, exactly. And even the plugs, they work, you know, it's great to get you to the next place, next town, so then you can repair it properly or replace your tire, you know. So... Um, but yeah, it gets you off the trail, which is great. You know, like nobody wants to be, if you can get off the trail in five minutes versus two hours, uh, I think everybody can agree on that,
1: you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a, so, so, okay. So for, for convenience, um, it certainly makes a lot of sense. And, um, let's talk about the systems that you're using now to convert tube type tires to tubeless. Which ones are you using?
2: Yeah. So currently our most popular system is the OutTex tubeless system. We're using that on most of the adventure motorcycle wheels we're building. Um, it's a super simple system, you know, basically covers the nipples with a tape adhesive, and then has a protective layer over the top of it. Um, we've Learned a lot in, to improve the installation process of it over the last you know six months. That we've really gone to it almost exclusively for uh, sealing our spoked wheels, um, and you know some little tricks to making it you know hold air uh, more consistently. You know, hundred percent. It's all about striving for hundred um, percent. So things like getting the you know nipples even with the surface and making uh, air pockets out of it. Um, have really helped to improve that system and make it, uh, you know, really high success rate. You know, Um, prior to we did a lot of silicone sealing of the wheels, you know, Um, we basically similar concept where you're covering the nipples with, uh, you know, a silicone substance or a tape and preventing air from leaking out of it. Uh, drawbacks were, uh, that they would take three to five days to cure, whereas the outtech system is only about a one day install time. Um, you know, and then also longevity over time, the sil you've got, you know, tire irons get to get in there, waters, water can get in there and, you know, cause the seal to be replaced. So, um, other systems, certainly the new tech tubeless system is a system that a lot of people are more familiar with from the dirt bike side. It's more designed for dirt bikes. It's not DOT approved. Um, and so basically it's more designed to, for those lower air pressures where the outex and the other type of ceiling, you don't want to lower your air pressures really. You really want to keep it at 30 PSI or above as as uh, as best you can because they will cause the tire to be able to rotate on the rim and air to leak out, you know, and the new tech has the rim lock in there to hold the tire in place. Um, some adventure guys are going to that just because they want to lower that air pressure, but truly generally advise against it, you know, unless you got the, you know, more of a dirt bike, WR 450, uh, CR 450, something like that.
1: The difference between the, the two systems between Outtex and Tubeless—they're they're quite different.
2: Yeah, they well, I mean, the similar concept—we're covering the nipples. So uh, Outtex does it with a tape and a uh, and a plastic cover, and Newtech does it with a basically a bicycle tube, with uh, you know to put pressure, air pressure over the nipples, and then a rubber a bladder to kind of go over the top to provide a second kind of seal against the rim. Um, and then the rim lock is there to hold the tire prevent the tire from slipping at lower tire pressures so one's more dirt bike oriented one's more street oriented you know um and of course with the adventure riding you have someone who wants everything but that everything just doesn't exist yet, you know, so.
1: That's, <laughs> <laughs> we're going back to the compromise thing with this tube bliss system and it's, and it's tube bliss, B-L-I-S-S, I think is the yes. system. It's a, that ring you're, you're saying that you're describing as a, as a bicycle tube and they pump it up, I think to hundred PSI. I mean, everybody, that's all it's all about is, is sealing off the, the nipples, like you were saying, um, in the rim, yeah. but that system's not DOT approved. So, so do you recommend that, like, do you tell people, no, that's not for the street?
2: Well, it's not for the street. Yeah, it's absolutely for dirt bikes. It's, you know, um, certainly you can even call the New Tech and Tubeless and they'll tell you they've, they sell it to adventure riders and people who go on the street, but they don't, mar- you know, can't market it in that regard. Oh, okay. Uh, but,
1: but is it, is it like, would it be something that you could use on the street? And it's just not officially DOT approved. And I don't want to get you to say anything that you shouldn't say. Yeah, I'm-
2: no, only exactly. Exactly. It's mainly <laughs> for dirt bike enduro's i'd say you like with the proper rim size and it comes down to a rim size most adventure bikes have wide a rim to support the new tech system so it's not even a question uh, you know to use it but some people have gone out and used it with wider rims just so that it will hold it but the rim lock's not working so it's needless to say i advise against it it's certainly uh, uh i uh, tubes are superior than trying to modify something that's not meant for that you know purpose so
1: right and with the tube list system that's going to be difficult to do anything with on the trail isn't it
2: well you still you could get a plug like so if if it's on a wr 450 or something then you can absolutely get nails or screws in it you can you can patch and plug uh your tire and and continue on um some people throw you know not slime but some type of like either um you know, like Berryman's uh, Barryman's, you know, tire, you know, kind of a uh, tubeless sealant. You know, a lot of people are familiar with the bicycle, you know, a stands, you know, stands tubeless for bicycles and mountain biking. It's, it's everywhere in mountain biking. It's a similar concept where basically you have the sealant that's kind of protecting the outer tire, but then the new tech seals the nipples, um, in place, you know, but, the, just the same exact concepts don't apply to motorcycles, you know, uh, for whether it's spinning mass or road, you know, I, I don't think the science um, is is crossed over completely, you know, um, for whatever reason. I'm not, it's not my expertise, you know. So
1: You said not slime. Was that a, something you recommend against?
2: Absolutely. So there are definitely some bead sealants. Um, you don't want, like the high toxic ones like slime tend to, you know, basically rot your rim. They eat at the aluminum. So you want to be careful to use like a stands in mountain biking. It's, it's not organic, but it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, non-corrosive and you just want to make sure whatever slime or sealant you're using, if you're going to use it is, is non-corrosive, uh, because the slime stuff and the stuff that's corrosive, it will actually eat the aluminum and should only be used within 24 hours. You should remove it. Uh, oh, wow. Whereas some of the longer lasting you know, mints and uh, can you know make sure it's non-corrosive so that it doesn't eat your aluminum rim. You know so.
1: Wow, why why would they make a? That's bizarre. That slime would actually corrode aluminum.
2: Yeah, it, I mean it's meant to fill the holes in the tire to get you from point A to point B to get to fix it. And then take it out. Um, and you know, whereas the other ones, like stands for mountain bikes and the uh I think it's berrymans, are more designed to be run all the time to kind of plug your little needles in your tire or little, you know, stuff that can, you know, especially in mountain biking, that kind of, you know, can just put a damper on your day. So
1: but but do you recommend stands or berrymans for for adventure motorcycles?
2: Not you know they have some air, the stand stuff is not, doesn't seem to be strong enough. You know, uh, the Berrymans is meant more for like big trucks and truck tires. And mm-hmm. that has more crossover. You know, I've seen better success with it, you know, uh, for motorcycles, but you would not want to combine it with the Outtex tubeless system because it is adhesive based tubeless system. Um, that, the, that sealant can, can basically get under the adhesive or may you know decrease the stick. Uh, you wouldn't want to do with a silicone-based sealant because it would also eat at the silicone. But like on the new tech system for dirt biking, that, that's more based on the rubber you know covering the uh, rim, and thus the sealant can be used more effectively.
1: You mentioned you, you always recommend 30 PSI and above um, once you convert it to tubeless. Is is there advantages here or disadvantages from tube type to tubeless as far as the minimum tire pressure you can run?
2: Not really because with tire, I mean, within a couple PSI, it's, you know, I don't know the exact number. That's a number that we found to be safe, you know. Basically, it's all about tire slippage and you just don't want your tire slipping when you break or when you give gas. Um, and when you, you have a tube in there, you don't want to do it cause you don't want to rip the tube when it's tubeless. You don't want it spinning on the rim. Uh, you know, it's, you know, if it happens, right, it's not going to, uh, wreck your day by leaking out. But what it does do is it increases the chance you're going to bend your rim. If you run it too low a tire pressure or that just by the tire spinning, air can leak out and seep out the side of the tire, you know, between the tire and the rim. And so that, that's that fine line. And and while you're an adventure bike and you got a really heavy motorcycle, um, the amount of pressure put, especially on braking, you know, to that, that tire slippage is extreme. And then these other, you know, you got 70 horsepower on the rear end, a tire wants to spin at a lower, you know, at a higher air pressure than it would on a dirt bike, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so you you know, but especially with stock rims, it comes down to rim bending. You just also you just don't want low air pressures because that's what that's the number one reason why we see the R twelve GSs and the eleven nineties have so many bent front rims is because people air down to get better traction and then it bends the rim, you know. So you're saying thirty PSI for the back? Thirty PSI for both. For you both. know, I mean really it's, it's a good minimum air pressure. Um, a lot of the, uh, the schools, you know, adventure riding schools, you know, West 38 moto and rawhide and those guys all from what I've been told recommend to learn how to run at those higher air pressures. Um, you know, for a couple of reasons, one is you don't want to bend your rim Two is you don't want to keep messing with it back and forth as you go on road or off road, you know, just want to learn how to ride at those little bit higher air pressures.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes sense. So, so with, with the Outtex kit, how difficult yeah. is this to install?
2: Oh, it's not rocket science. You know, it's, um, the instruction, it can be difficult because the instructions are generally in Japanese. You know, I mean, they, they have some YouTube videos. It comes out of Japan, you know, this kit. Um, so it's not like, uh, it's necessarily the best explanation if you're just trying to do it your first time. Um, it's like most things. It's about prepping the surface, you know, especially when you have an adhesive, you want to, it has to be a very clean surface. And then, like I said, eliminating any chance for like the nipples creating air pocket, right? Like, you know, KTMs have a really high head on their nipple. So you have to compromise and find a way to, you know, basically make it flat so that you have less air bubbles. But the concept is there, you know, as long as you clean easy, do it, you know, uh, take your time. Uh, you can usually get it right the first time, you know? Um, I definitely, you know, we generally install far more than we sell. Um, you know, it's because we do have such experience with it. Um, we only charge $50 to install it and it's well worth that. if you, if you are, um, it's convenient for you to get the wheel to us. So
1: are there other advantages of bringing it in to get you to do it? Because I'm thinking, you know, you guys know what you're looking at when you're looking at the rim.
2: Yeah. The number one, I mean, so checking the wheel for true before sealing, because when you, uh, the wheel should be true before you seal it, because once you seal it, you really can't true without the chance of compromising the seal. So that would be probably number one. Number two is making sure that the rim is straight, you know, because if you, seal a bent rim, you're not doing yourself any good. Um, because air can leak out the bend just as easy as it could have leaked out the nipples, you know? Um, and then third is just the experience of, of knowing how to install it. It, we're going to get it right, you know, uh, you know, the first time and, you know, it not increase the risk of tubeless failure. So,
1: yeah, it would make sense to me for 50 bucks to even just have it in there with with you guys pulling it apart. You're able to spot something that.
2: that certainly. I would, I, but we this. get it. Everybody sh- can't ship around the world, right? It's uh, it's certainly easier to ship a kit and uh, we'll definitely help you walk through it, you know, uh, to if necessary to help install it. So
1: Now, uh, if, if someone's deciding, you know, someone's thinking about this and thinking, well, should I go tubeless? Do, do you have any sort of way that you would say, think about this or, you know, any advice that you would give for this?
2: Yeah. It's, I'd say, like I said, the rear wheel is far better to seal. And I'd start with that. You know, um, the first and foremost is, are you bending your rim already? If you're already bending your rim, you really need to replace it before going, sealing it. If you're not bending your rim and you have the safety bead on it, it's super safe to seal the, seal the rim and, you know, and run the tubeless. Um, Front 21 inch wheels on your F800s and your, um, you know, Triumph Tigers and your uh, Africa Twins all don't have the safety bead. So if you're really running, I'd say 90% on the street with the 10% off road with fire roads and you keep your air pressures at 30 psi, you're safe to install it. But if you go off road much more than that, you're going to be prone to bending the rim and leak anyway, you know? Mm. So that's really our. Uh, So if you're going off road, you want to, that front wheel, if it's um, not a wide enough rim, two and a half inches is basically the width of a rim that has a tubeless uh, safety bead, then we recommend running a front tube in your wheel. That's a safer bet.
1: And what about if you seal it and like, you know, if you put the OutTex kit on the front and run a tube, is there any advantage to that?
2: Um. I mean, it's basically, I, I've not done that. Um, you know, I would say run tubeless and then if you ha and then if you somehow got a leak or bent a rim and it wouldn't hold air, you have a, a tube to install and put it in. Um, I've, I've, I've heard of people doing that tubeless tube and throw a tube in there. I have yet to see it really implemented, uh, and done successfully. Hmm.
1: So with the with a tubeless tire, like a, let's say a factory setup, so with those type of rims, are they very prone to leakage? so when you bend the rim and they just start leaking?
2: Uh, yes and no. I mean they they a lot of people travel around the world with them with you know and have several little bends in it and have held air just fine. Um, you know, so they're just the, you know it's honestly, it's because they stick out wider you're more especially those baby heads you know whatnot and, and potholes um you're more prone to it hitting the aluminum rim and bending it and then the air can leak out the side it's two the second thing is that it's kind of a shorter uh bead they are only like half an inch up versus like excels and general rims are more like three quarter inch so they don't go up as high uh and thus they're a little more prone to um leaking out when there is a bend um but it's, you know, you see stuff that holds air. The rubber is amazingly pliable. I mean, you'd, you'd be amazed at the number of car wheels that are also bent, and yet they still hold air. Um, a similar concept, there, there are, um, we see it more on the 1190s and 1290s nowadays with the, their, their rim tends to flare out more, and thus it tends to leak when you bend it. I'd say more than the R12 GSs, but... Um, it's still probably the most common rim we see need to repair is an R12GS cross lace wheel um, because uh, nobody else fixes them. So,
1: Well, Chris, thank you very much. That's a lot of great information. We're going to put a link to Woody's Wheel Works in the show notes um, for people looking to get this done. I appreciate your time.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, Jim.
1: Was Chris Woody from Woody's Wheelworks in Denver, Colorado. Now, the kit that we're talking about that, that uh, they installed there is called the OutTex kit. It's available through Woody's Wheelworks. If you're wanting to do the install yourself, I guess you could just buy it from them and install it or take it to them to get it installed. The other system we talked about is called Tubeless. That's T-U-B-L-I-S-S. It's from a company called New Tech located in the U.S. and their website is is tubeless.com we have a link to woody's wheelworks and the new tech website in the show notes for this episode well it's been a few years now that i've been using the fast company flex handlebars what are they well These are bars that have built-in flex in them, which means that when you shove down hard on the bars, they slightly flex down. And when you pull back up, they slightly flex up. And until you try them, you'll have no idea how much that little bit of give does for absorbing the shocks and vibration that would otherwise be up your arms. A lot of racers use them and they, and they talk about um, arm pump being reduced because of this. It's uh, an incredible setup. It's made of aluminum with these little uh, plastic uh, polymer type things that are in there that allow it to flex, which are adjustable. You can take them out and ex- exchange them for these different colored ones that give you a different amount of flex. On top of that, they give a great ride position, hands level, great control it's another one of those things that make all the difference for serious riders. Now I would not go back to my stock bars at all. I still have my stock bars and to me, they not only look ugly, but there's no way I'm going to them. The website is fastcompany.com. We had them on the show a a while back and you can search them on on our website as well. F-A-S-S-T company.com, fastcompany.com. Check them out. Make sure you talk to them. Let them know you heard them here on adventure rider radio. You know, one of the pegs from IMS that I haven't talked a lot about is the rally foot peg. The rally foot peg was designed and tested by a bunch of adventure riders and off-road racers, including IMS's resident rally racer, Alexander Smith, because Alex first tested it in the Moroccan rally in preparation for the Dakar. He loved its size and the aggressive traction it had, not to mention the, the fit and finish with it. But I've also rode with the rally for a lot of miles. I loved it as well. I've since switched to the core because I like to try different things. But I mean, you can't go wrong with any of the IMS products foot pegs from the ADV one and two, right along to the rally and the core enduro, all made of cast certified 17 four stainless steel, all built in the USA, all come with a lifetime warranty. But what it really comes down to is performance, what it does for your ride and a high quality peg like the ones that IMS makes for us adventure riders will help you control your bike, help keep your feet in place. To me, it's not an option. It's a must-have. IMSproducts.com. Don't forget to mention us when you drop by the website. Have a look at what they've got for all adventure riders. They've got a peg that will suit your style. IMSproducts.com. Not long ago, if you rolled into a town and were looking for a place to sleep, you'd look for hotels. Or if you wanted to rent a taxi, you would look for a taxi company and call them. But that's all changed now with things like Airbnb and Uber. And now it's also changed for motorcycle rentals. You can now rent another rider's motorcycle right from their own garage, their personal house, by using one of a couple of new platforms for rider-to-rider motorcycle rentals. Just like the Airbnb or Uber, your rental is not a rental bike per se from some company. It's another rider's personal bike.
0: My name is Guillermo Cornejo. Uh, I'm based in LA. And we started uh, a platform that is like Airbnb, but for renting motorcycles.
1: Guillermo, have I got that right? Guillermo?
0: Correct. Welcome to
1: Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. Where where are you from? I mean obviously I'm picking up an accent there. Where <laughs> where are you from originally?
0: You know, I I am American but I grew up in Peru. It's a really odd story. <laughs> my my parents met in college here in the in the US.
1: Oh, I see. So and, <laughs> and when did you come back from Peru?
0: Um, when I was about 17, so almost 13 years ago.
1: Okay, so for, for this company that you have, Riders Share, what you've done is you've set up a, a company, you've come up with the idea to um, get the average rider with a spare bike, their own bike, whatever, to put this thing up uh, on your with your company on a website to say they will rent it to strangers, and you're facilitating that connection between the two.
0: Yes, and yeah, so it's essentially... Any motorcycle, you know, whether privately or commercially owned, you can list it on the website and monetize it. And uh, our biggest value add is that we provide commercial insurance for the duration of the rental. And, uh, and you know, and then we have a lot of other benefits like roadside assistance, reviews, uh, you know, booking system, advertising and leads, you name it.
1: Okay, so what is the the difficult? I mean, because it sounds pretty simple, a basic concept, right? You know, you uh, the owner puts his bike up there, some guy comes along and rents it, and you know, and, and both parties are happy. But what's the what's the hurdles that you have to overcome with this?
0: So, insuring motorcycles commercially is extremely hard. Mm. Only only two companies do it in the U.S. right, and insuring like the sharing economy is also extremely hard if you look at companies like if you look at Lyft IPO they started their own, their own insurance company basically to be able to to do it and uh so that insuring motorcycles for motorcycle sharing is practically impossible <laughs> mm. uh, yeah so that's our biggest uh like Advantage or other platforms that we, we have the only commercial insurance policy for motorcycle sharing. It was so difficult to obtain. And and, uh, and to do it, we have this algorithm to mitigate risk. And also we, you know, we have software that checks that, that the people uh, renting the motorcycle has uh, motorcycle endorsement. So uh, there's a lot of room for improvement. Like the software is a little bit slow still, but uh, we're getting better... Every week, you know.
1: Well, you, you said machine learning. What now, what are you doing with that?
0: Well, what it really means is that um, we have we capture like a hundred different variables, you know, like from motorcycle type, uh, horsepower, weight, uh, then the demographics of the individual, where are they coming from, uh, where's the motorcycle located, and uh, the experience of the rider, a hundred different variables, right? And then we look at our history um, of our, you know, we've done like 6,000 trips so far. So we look at... Sorry, you've done how many? 6,000 trips.
1: 6,000, like 6,000 rentals. Yes. Wow, that's incredible because you only started like roughly just over a year ago. I know you said, like, I guess since that year, you've done, what, 1.3 million in, in bookings.
0: Yeah, we've received uh, a little over 1.3 million in booking requests since we launched Inferio last year.
1: Incredible!
0: I know, dude. <laughs> like
1: that—that that clearly shows there is a demand for this.
0: Yeah, and to be frank, to be perfectly honest, dude, the, the first year we lost a lot of money uh, because of the insurance costs. So that's why it's our—it's uh, <laughs> it, our focus to catch the number of vaccines right now, and we're and we're doing a good job. But yeah, so. Based on that data, and we look at who crashed and who didn't, and we looked at those hundred different uh, variables, and then we let the computer like they, the computer groups these people into clusters, and uh, and based on that cluster, you know, we 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 score everybody. We create like a rank score from one to a hundred, and people that score seventy-five or higher get uh, they pay a little bit extra, and 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 that way we sort of turn them away from renting the motorcycle. And people that score less, they, they don't pay more. In the long run, we want to, you know, as those scores get more and more accurate, uh, almost everybody is going to have access to really affordable motorcycles. And only a small, a small percentage of people, will, you know, will be required to pay extra.
1: So if I had a motorcycle that I wanted to rent out, and, and I, I come to you on your website, and I want to list it, what do I have to do?
0: Uh, right now, we make it super easy. Just take five pictures, uh, preferably more. Then you upload them. You write the description of your motorcycle. You pick the model and model year the, and the make. Uh, we also ask you to tell us when was the last time that you did an oil change, and if it's over 12 months ago, then you can't list it. Uh, we asked the same thing with tires: uh, when was the last time that you, then you change them, and, and the, if you think that the tires are less than 30%, then don't don't list it, and. Uh, and yeah, and the description of the motorcycle. Um, in the future, we'll start requiring being members. But uh, right now, you know, we're we're trying to grow as and, and obtain as many motorcycles as we can in in key markets.
1: Now, as far as if I was looking to rent a motorcycle, um, this is where the insurance comes in. I guess both parties, really. The, you know, the, the person that owns a motorcycle wants to be sure they're covered. The person that rents it, uh, they certainly need some sort of coverage. But if I come to you and I want to rent a motorcycle, is is the same sort of thing? I just go online and I fill it out?
0: Um. Yeah, um, uh, we verify your phone number via SMS. Then we verify your that your email account, and uh, we ask you to upload your only a, the only at first time that you use this. By the way, the second time is, is faster. But the first time, we also ask you to upload your uh, your driver's license with the motorcycle endorsement. Uh, now we do have some scooters and you know slingshots that don't need a, a, mot- a motorcycle license. But, uh, but, but the vast majority of vehicles require a motorcycle license. And then, uh, and then, you know, that checkout after that is just like any regular rental company. You, you have options for damage waivers, supplemental liability, and then, uh, and then you, you send a booking request and the owner of the motorcycle has, uh, ideally they will approve, approve it immediately, but if they do not approve the booking request after, if they don't respond after 48 hours, uh, their motorcycle gets uh, passed and removed from the website
1: oh I see So you keep everybody on their toes that way you know you you want to have you want to make sure that when a customer approaches you that they get a response right away they're not sitting there waiting for somebody who's you know gonna take their sweet time to do, to decide to whether they're going to respond or not
0: yes and we're working on, on more features to encourage that like sending them a text message notification in case they are not reading their emails and uh, and displaying stats of how quickly they are getting uh, approving the bookings. That way, you know, the the more successful, the faster owners get more bookings, right? And different, you, you can basically, you can basically encourage people to behave if you use good design.
1: Mm. Do you have an app with this as well?
0: Uh, well, our our website is actually a web app. So uh, in, a, in a few months, we're going to wrap it and turn it into a mobile app. Uh, so it's not, we, it's not a priority. When we were, I originally launched this company in 2015, with just an app, and discovered that people were not willing to download an app specifically to rent a motorcycle—something they, they only do like once a year—so oh, I had right. <laughs> I had to scrap it and start over. Yeah, and there's but, there's but yeah, something
1: about an app too that almost seems um I, I don't know less trustworthy or something like that. You know when you look at the app, you go uh, I don't know, whereas a website seems more legitimate.
0: I don't I don't know, but uh, what Forum experience just an app doesn't work, and uh, and but we will a lot of people have asked that we release an app, so we'll do it next winter.
1: Now, as as far as I, I was talking about the insurance, so what happens if something you know somebody rents a bike? I come and I rent a bike, and um, I damage the bike, I drop it, and, and I damage it. Uh, or no, let's say something else. Let, let's say that would be more my fault. I'd be responsible for it. But let's let's say I had an accident with it. How does the insurance work?
0: It it, it works just like any regular insurance, so. Uh, you know, first you make sure that everyone's okay, and you know, you need to go to a hospital. That's a priority, mm-hmm. and then um, you call the insurance company to file a claim. They will get the story from the renter and from the owner of the motorcycle. If there was a third party involved, they will involve the third party. Uh, then, the, if you know if it's serious, uh, they will send an appraiser to look at the motorcycle estimate the damage if, if they if it's a total loss then they they need to determine the market value of the motorcycle and um and yeah i mean it's it's you know it's it's just like a like a regular insurance company
1: <laughs> have you had any experience with it has anyone actually used the insurance yet
0: yeah we have had about 40 accidents uh which is not a lot out of six thousand trips right mm-hmm. and um the vast majority of them is just people dropping the bike while parking. Uh, Only like five to 10 have been like serious. And and yeah, I mean, I can tell you that there's plenty of owners that motorcycles were dropped and they continue to use their website. Uh, So that to me is the biggest sign that the insurance company is doing its job quickly, (laughs) quick enough. Yeah.
1: Who's mainly renting uh, right now? Are they they mainly from the U S and Canada or are they from elsewhere in the world?
0: Um, Today, they're mainly from, from the U.S. and Canada. I know that with traditional rental companies, most customers are foreigners. So uh, so we need to do a better job of attracting, especially Europeans. They spend more money. Um, but yeah, today, it's mostly uh, locals, and it's mostly young people. Like, the median age is 26.
1: Oh, wow. Well, I didn't expect that. I, I, Me neither. <laughs> yeah, I would have thought it would have been a lot, a lot older than that. Well, where can they rent bikes? Are they listed all over the U.S. and Canada?
0: All over the U.S. and Canada, Uh, we have particularly high concentrations in Los Angeles, because it's where we're based, and uh, San Francisco, you know, because it's like a tech scene. But uh, almost in every major city, we have at least 10 bikes.
1: What does it cost?
0: Well, we let owners set their own prices. Um, It starts at $50 per day, and then um, they can give discounts, up to 55% discounts for longer term rentals. Um, so theoretically, you could um, rent a bike for as low as $32 per day if you rent it for five days or longer. Um, but on average, people are spending uh, about $100 per day once you uh, tack on uh, damage waivers and supplemental liability.
1: And where does your fee come in? Is, is it added on top? Is it taken out of the, the rental for your overhead?
0: Uh, we take thirty uh, percent from the owner's rental income,
1: right? And no, no, nothing else, no other hidden fees on top.
0: Oh well, I mean, we we have uh, sorry, yeah, we have a trip fee, the one that we use for risk management, uh, which ranges from zero to nineteen dollars per day. And uh, again, the main purpose of that fee is to scare away uh, risky customers.
1: And and you have um, like the insurance is on top of this, I gather.
0: Correct. So people can bring their own insurance, or or they can purchase a damage waiver from us.
1: What's the deal with bringing your own insurance? Like, I just show up with my insurance card saying, you know, here I'm from Brazil and and I've got insurance, and you look at it and say, fine.
0: Uh, not not quite. So we we insure all transactions regardless of whether the the customer has their own insurance or not, because. Like you said, that, that insurance card could mean they have a state minimum liability protection. You know, maybe uh, or maybe they have full insurance, but their insurance doesn't include motorcycle rentals, uh, which it's that's largely the case with motorcycle rentals, uh, personal policies. Uh, so with motorcycle insurance, personal policies typically do not cover motorcycle rentals. So we insure every single transaction regardless. Um, the company does. That, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we, we buy insurance for every transaction. With that said, um, we, sometimes they do pay for, for claims, you know, uh, not very often, but so, so we have, you know, so we, we give them a, we don't, we don't give them a discount for bringing their own insurance, but, uh, but they don't have to buy the damage waiver. Right. Mm. So we give them that option.
1: That sounds really, really interesting. What's, um. What's the Nigerian scammers you had to deal with?
0: <laughs> um, did I tell you about it? Yeah.
1: Oh, no, no. I, I saw it in the notes, though. Nigerian scammer, and it sort of piqued my interest. <laughs> I mean, who hasn't come across the Nigerian scammer? But I'm curious what happened with you.
0: I know because it's just you know within less than a year of launching, some Nigerian scammers started creating fake motorcycle listings with super nice bikes and um, and very low prices, and asking people to hey don't don't do the transaction on the platform just send money to this SEle account to this oh. paypal account and a, and a handful of morons fell for it and sent thousands of dollars to nigeria yeah and oh. uh i know <laughs> but it's okay so now um we have more security in our systems when when you when somebody's trying to verify their phone number we make sure that it's a real phone number. Um, we don't allow, you know, VoIPs or Google Boys, those types of numbers aren't allowed anymore, and that has stopped them. Uh, we also are manually reviewing every single listing uh, the you know the Nigerians' scammers are not very creative with their listings, so it's pretty easy to tell which ones are fake.
1: As we all know by their emails. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. No, you, you'd be surprised. They they had these like legitimate contracts that they would PDF that they would email the the user, so they they seem pretty real. They spoke good English. Oh, it was wow. not your typical Nigerian scam. Yeah, and uh, and then I googled the the email addresses they were using, and they're they're doing these same scams in our websites like airbnb outdoor sea turo i was shocked Um, oh
1: really so this is something you could fall for just yeah booking an airbnb or something i never thought about that
0: yeah i mean companies like ours like it's it's a huge there's this conference called the marketplace risk conference that uh that we i attend every year and and we all get together to discuss how to deal with these type of issues it's a (laughs) <laughs> it's a serious problem and uh, but you know every, every, every week a new technology comes out to help uh, prevent it
1: that's something to watch for so the flag would be if the, the person selling whatever whether it's the Airbnb or whether it's a boat rental or a bike rental if they're asking you to skip the platform look out
0: pretty much yeah <laughs> what, what about two weeks away
1: from running out of cash
0: oh man so uh, like I said in our first year to be able to demonstrated to the insurance company that we knew what we were doing. Uh, I was, we were basically subsidizing the rentals, right? We were losing $70 for each rental. Um, Yeah. But because of the insurance costs, they were so high. So, uh, but the thing is by, um, August or September, we had accumulated, you know, (laughs) I had, I had spent a hundred thousand dollars of my personal savings for one K. Uh, and then another hundred thousand dollars in debt, in credit cards, student loans, and uh, and, and debt to the insurance company, and uh, so I was about to about to run out of cash. But we, um, it, it, the bet was worth it because we proved, you know, that look, people on our platform don't crash as often as they do in a in a regular rental outlet, and uh, so they 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 lowered our insurance costs dramatically. I want to say. 66 percent, and uh, and and then I turned around to investors and look, um, we know what we're doing. We we can make. I know motorcycles are hard, but we can make it profitable if we, you know, uh, as we. I mean, we just started and we already have, uh, you know, relatively low insurance costs. Uh, give us a couple more years and, and we're going to be profitable. And uh, so I we raised some money in September and uh, and yeah, so that's why we're growing so quickly. <laughs>
1: Well, I really like the possibilities with this sort of thing. Riders Share, Guillermo, thank you very much for coming on the show.
0: Thank you. Have a day.
1: That was Guillermo Cornejo from ridershare.com. And uh, of course, that link will be in our show notes as well. Another Airbnb-style moto rental company is called Twisted Road, and it also has a unique story.
3: Hey, this is Austin Rothbard. I'm from Twisted Road, and I, I run the, uh, a community that connects motorcycle riders with owners so they can rent and ride.
1: Hey, Austin, thanks for coming
3: on the show. Of course. Thanks for having me. So it's Twisted Road. How did you come up with Twisted Road? So I haven't been riding for many years, but after I started riding, I immediately caught the bug. And when I was traveling with my family, I kept running into challenges whenever I wanted to rent a bike and just see the world on two wheels. And after over and over not being able to find a bike near me, uh, I just realized that there were thousands of bikes sitting in garages not being used, and I decided to solve both problems.
1: Mm. You know, it's, it's interesting because a lot of times when you find someone who starts something like what you've done here with Twisted Road, they've either come from a deep motorcycle background or they have come from the motorcycle industry or something, but neither one of those are true with you.
3: That's right. I've spent, gosh, I spent my entire career working in corporate America in one way or another. The last 10 years before I started this, I've run four different businesses and most of these businesses are household names. Uh, I've been really fortunate. I ran a boat company um, for a few years, I was the president of a billiards company, Brunswick Billiards, and then I was also uh, the president of a furniture company and a housewares business. And I've always run companies between 20 and $500 million in annual sales. I've just never run anything that's with zero. <laughs> so, so this was new for me.
1: Well, let's talk about uh, Twisted Road, how this thing works. So, so basically, let me just set this up. This, this is a website sure. that's set up or an organization, a company that's set up for individual people, private people to list their motorcycles for rent. And then other people who are other riders from other areas, they come to the site and they pick out a bike to rent. That's
3: is that basically what it is? That's basically it. We do a lot. That's that's the basic that's the basic platform. There's a lot that goes behind the scenes. It's not that simple, but yeah, that's it.
1: Yeah, there always is. I mean, it's like saying Google's a search engine, right? I mean, it's as simple right, as that. Google's right. a search well, engine.
3: You could probably have one person run it and put it together and right. it just automates itself. Right.
1: So, okay. So let's look at this. Let's dig in a little deeper then. So um, for listing a motorcycle, what's involved?
3: Um, well, the, the person has to have some really basic information about the bike. We don't take scooters. We don't take du- dirt bikes and we don't take trikes. And there are different reasons behind that, but we... We do take. We want highway legal bikes um, that have two wheels. We'll take a third wheel if it's a if it's a sidecar on a motorcycle. Um, bike has to be safe, licensed, registered, license plate, and um, we prefer bikes that are newer than the year 2000 with under 50,000 miles. But they don't have to be. Um, we get a listing. They, they basically need to give us year, make, model, number of miles and license plate, a short description and some pictures and they're ready to go. We also take displacement and some other figures as well.
1: Okay. So as far as putting your bike up there, I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of questions pop into people's head. One would be um, insurance. What happens with insurance? Cause I, I think that there's a lot of companies that say that you can't rent your bike or you, you can't use it as a taxi, those sorts of stipulations.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. But we don't go to the owner's insurance for anything. If any damage happens to the bike, Throughout the ride, we cover it either through our, we, we cover it. It's all insured through our, our program, ah, So, so we, but we never go to the owner.
1: So now we're digging a little deeper into that simple plan. Now it looks more complicated. So now you you have insurance that covers these bikes when they go out. So you're, you're sort of the rental
3: company in a way. So, so the, the rider has an option, just like you would at Hertz, to purchase supplemental insurance through us. And that's what covers it.
1: But as a renter so if I have my bike on the site somebody rents it out and takes yep. it and damages it um, yep. that's where their insurance is going to cover it but or the yeah,
3: exact or or, or or we will you know basically if an owner has any damage that's done to his bike we make sure they're paid we just make sure they're paid it's either through the renter's insurance through our insurance through our policies through our, our working capital we make sure they're paid either for, uh, for the damages that's how it works what about liability issues a uh, liability in the United States always follows the rider. And we also have terms of service that are really detailed that exclude the ability to hold other parties harmless uh, in case of an accident. Hmm.
1: Okay. So, so what other things do you need to know about this?
3: Oh, okay. So let's start with this. Um, we, we do a very detailed verification on every single rider before they can get on the bike. We check with the DMV to make sure that they have um, a motorcycle endorsement and that their license is, is, is valid today. Um, we also get a copy of their insurance card. We get a copy of their, of their riding history. So they say, well, I rode this bike for two years and this bike for three. All of that gets submitted, and the owner of the bike gets a request with that information on there. Um, he can then choose to accept it or decline it based on whether or not he's happy and feels comfortable with that person on his bike.
1: And how does the fees work who sets the price for the rental and and what does it end up costing
3: yeah the, the, the owner sets the price and you'll find that in in markets where we have a lot of bikes and good penetration um, bikes are listed between on average I'd say 90 to 125 bucks a day and in bikes were we, in, in markets where we don't have as many, as many bikes they're they're all over the place they can be 90 they can be 200. And so what's happening in, in markets like Los Angeles is people are saying, oh, I've got a sports store. There's a bunch of other sports stores out there. Let me let me make sure my pricing is competitive. Um, the owner gets 70% and we take 30.
1: 70, 30. So any, any, and are there any hidden fees for the renter on there or any extra there, fees? There,
3: there's one extra fee at the end. There's a 20% fee that they pay and that just keeps us going. I mean, it keeps our site active. We give 24, seven customer support and service. We have live people that are always talking to owners and renters, and that just kind of pays the bills.
1: With the um, with, with the rental system then, you're, you're putting your bike up, you have people come rent it. It's, um, you get to check the person. The person gets to check you. So there technically should be no surprises. But what happens if somebody shows up and looks at this bike and goes, oh, I, I, there's no way I'm riding this?
3: Yeah, that, that, that doesn't happen often. But when, we, when it does, they're allowed to cancel for any reason for a full refund. I mean, We've had everything from uh, the easy stuff is like the weather, you know, someone's planned a trip and there's bad weather and they don't want to ride in it or a flight. Something happens with somebody's trip and the whole trip gets canceled. Um, but we had one situation where a person got on a bike and he went around the block and just said, you know, I, I don't feel comfortable with this riding position. It's just my body doesn't fit it and I don't want to cancel. OK, cancel. We give a full refund. And the same goes the other way. If the owner takes a look at the rider and says, man, I don't want this guy on my bike. I don't feel comfortable. He can cancel. So both parties really have all the control to make sure they're both comfortable with the ride and and, and that it's going to be safe for both parties.
1: What about um, damage like mechanical or, or if they drop it?
3: Yeah, that's two different things there. So, um, all mechanical issues are the responsibility of the owner and any damage that happens during the ride, that's the responsibility that, that is, is the responsibility of the
2: rider.
1: Mm. So what do you do? You have a, like um, a form or a, or a method that you put it through. So when the, when the rider and the renter or sorry, when the, when the renter and, the, and the, the person that owns the bike get together, they do a walk around, check it all out, sort of agree on the condition of the bike and then do the same thing when they come back like a standard rental.
3: Yeah, yeah, you got it. Except it's not a form; it's all done with your phone. So you just take pictures of different um, of of the bike, and you make sure that you capture any pictures of existing damage, if there is any, and then that gets attached to the um, the, the the rental record.
1: Oh so, you're, actually,
3: you're actually taking the picture and then uploading that. Yeah, it's it's not even it's 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 one step fewer than that. It's not taking it and uploading; it's literally taking it through our site. So you just take a picture, you hit submit, and it's done. It's there. So when when if there's ever a claim that hey, you know, there's this scratch here on the swing arm that wasn't there before, well, we the first thing we do is we pull up the 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 pre-ride images and we look at them. Right, and then it's easy to sort out. And then it's easy to sort out. We also do a credit card hold before the ride ride starts. Uh, we hold a thousand dollars of all. Every single time a bike goes out, it's a minimum of 1,000 and, and it varies on, on, on a few uh, other criteria. And, um, and so it doesn't, it doesn't really weed out too many riders, but on occasion we'll have somebody who uh, says, Well, I can't, I don't have that much money. And it's we'll like, Well, you know, quite frankly, we, 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 we don't want somebody like that riding the bikes. So we just tell them it's not for them.
1: Can you restrict where someone rides your bike? Like, let's say I've got a, a brand new Africa Twin that I'm going to put up there for rental. And maybe I don't really want people to ride it off-road because, you know, I want to keep it in good shape. Can you say that yeah. in the
3: rental? Yeah. Well, bikes aren't allowed off-road on our site by, by, um, by our policies. They have to be on the road. Now, we know that there are um, some owners who allow their bikes to be taken off-road. And they'll say right in the description, you know, off-road riding only allowed with prior approval.
1: I want to just jump back and ask about tickets again. Sure. So when it comes to to tickets, if someone gets a ticket, how do you handle that?
3: Well, the the easiest thing to do is we take it right out of the thousand dollar credit card hold and we pay the owner. Um, There has been, I think, one or two times when there's been a ticket after the fact uh, and after we've released the hold. And again, it's important for us to make sure that the owners are whole and don't take on any extra liability. So we immediately pay the owner for the ticket. And then we go, we called back the, uh, the rider and said, Hey, you got a ticket. You know, here's a picture of the toll. You had the bike and you get us the money. And, and I think it's happened once or twice. And they just, we just collect the the payment that day. I mean, people don't deny it. They don't say it wasn't me. They just, Oh yeah, no problem. Here it is. So we don't mark those, those up. We're not making money off of, you know, someone getting a ticket. If someone brings the bike back and the, and the, the tank's not full, It's just ten bucks. We give ten bucks to the to the uh, owner, and we take it right out of the the credit card hole. And here's fuel, here's gas money. Um, Again, we 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 read every single review that comes in. We're reading them, and we had a situation with a woman who had a I think she had a Kawasaki Versys in um, California. I think it was in Santa Cruz, and she got and I was reading the reviews, and the review set gave the guy a four star, which is not common for us, and he's. She said he was great. He treated the bike well. He just didn't bring it back full of fuel when he returned the bike, and so, you know, we immediately gave her ten bucks. And she and she said to our team, she's like, I wasn't going to ask for the money. It's we don't care. You know, when we find out about it, we make sure that we're fair. We we, we pride ourselves on that.
1: Mm. Yeah, because I mean, so you're saying four stars not common because you're normally getting five star.
3: We're normally getting five. Mm. Yeah. It's not common.
1: How many bikes do you have now on the site?
3: We've got, uh, it's North of 1200. I think it's like 1240 or something. Wow. That's um, as of this morning, it was 12, yeah, 1238.
1: Now you're in the U S you're not in Canada or Europe yet or Australia. Any plans to go in there?
3: Um, well, yeah, we, I mean, I've got the vision to be everywhere. I just <laughs> I don't know. The, I, you know, I just don't have the timing. <laughs> I don't know the timing. Um, so I just want to make sure that we've got this thing completely buttoned up. We've, we've, we are humming along in the U.S. before we expand. Um, but we do have uh, a handful of bikes from different countries all over the world that have been submitted that are just on our back burner. We've not approved them. So we have bikes in Uruguay and, and Guatemala and Colombia, Canada, Australia, Portugal, the U.K. we got bikes all over the place. We just… We just have not approved them. So when you look at our site, you'll only see U.S. bikes. And when we're ready and we go into Canada, we probably, at this point, we don't have many. Maybe we have 30 or 40 bikes in Canada. We can flip the switch and get them all live.
1: What's the biggest hurdle in getting people to list their bikes?
3: You know, it's a great question. Um, You've heard of Airbnb, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And so is your home listed on Airbnb? No. Okay, neither's mine. And so... um, if you ask me why, I just say I don't want anyone in my house. Like I'm really just happy being the only people that are sleeping in my home. <laughs> and so I, I could we could give all the reasons why there's really not much risk here for an owner. We can say we we compensate you for any damages that are have to happen to your bike and we make sure the person's legit and we we verify and trust and all this stuff, but most people don't want to do it. They just don't want to. And we're not here to try to convince anybody, you know, if if someone doesn't want to do it, they don't do it. It's well, our company is not for everybody. And we, we get that. Um, there are some people who make a good amount of money on, on through us. Um, there's a woman with a Ducati scrambler out in LA who's probably made between, I don't know, 1500 and 2000 bucks in the last 12 months. Um, and so, and, and there's probably, you know, I'm just giving that example cause I was reviewing her file earlier today, but we've got those all over the place. and you know, Um, So I I don't know. I don't know. It's it's an opportunity if you're interested, but if not, then you're not.
1: Well, Austin, thank you very much for coming on the show and talking about it.
3: It's my pleasure. I appreciate you having me on.
1: And that was Austin Rothbard from TwistedRoad.com. Well, there's two options for you for renting motorcycles other than the standard, the traditional uh, rental options that you'll find everywhere, like Airbnb or the Uber. You're dealing directly with the owner of a motorcycle, and there's something a little bit more intimate about that. Um, it could really suit your style and also an opportunity to rent different bikes if you want to try out a different bike. Maybe you're interested in, in trying a a certain kind of bike that you can't find somewhere at a traditional rental shop or a, a dealership. And of course, as always, we will put links to both of those in our show notes. Overland Expo is the biggest overlanding event in North America. It's been running for 10 years now. Originally started by Roseanne and Jonathan Hansen, it was sold recently to new owners before this year's event in Arizona. So I thought we would uh, take a minute and, and speak with one of the new owners to find out maybe how that event went in Arizona, their first event as Overland Expo owners, and also what might be in the future for Overland Expo. I'm curious whether it's going to be going to other countries. It's such a huge success in the States. So I just did a random call here and caught Jessica Kirshner, one of the owners of uh, the new owners of Overland Expo. She's actually driving on her way home, um, but I I had a chat with her here.
4: Uh, Yeah, sure. I'm just driving home.
1: So you just finished your first, uh, and not the first, but your first Overland Expo because you're the new owner.
4: Correct. It, it was the 10th anniversary of Overland Expo West this year, but uh, my company, Lodestone Events, um, bought the events from uh, the great Roseanne and Jonathan Hansen of uh, the beginning of the year, and we were so, so excited to, to finally get to this first West event and produce it on our own, and it totally exceeded our expectations.
1: Oh, really? What was it like to put together something like that? I mean, it's a, it's a huge event. I mean, when I look at the stuff that's going on there, it's just... I don't know, for for putting something together that's only going to last for four days and get all that organized and then done and out afterwards just seems huge, to say
4: the least. Well, it does seem daunting unless you're an event pro that's been producing large-scale shows for a couple decades. And that's what our Lodestone Events team has been doing for, um, for quite a while now. We produce some really large shows all over the country um, with like over 50,000 people and you know hundreds of exhibitors. So it's kind of old hat to us, to be honestly.
1: So what was different about the way you guys are doing Overland Expo this year for the 10th one, the one that just went on, from what was done before?
4: Well, um, I think really what we did is we added to it. um, We tried to bring in some um, additional VIPs to do presentations and, um, and some speaking sessions to some of our attendees. Uh, We also brought in some professional event managers that we've worked with over the past several years, um, helping us with some traffic management, show flow, and just kind of some overall, you know, situations where we we changed the layout of the event so that we felt like it would have a better traffic flow for attendees.
1: You had, um, as far as from, from the motorcycle perspective, you guys had motorcycle instruction, you had presentations, you had just loads in vendors. What what did you notice that, that drew the most crowd for the motorcyclists?
4: Well, uh, Bill Dragu's team, uh, Bill and Susan's team at um, Dart Training was huge. They were busy all weekend long. All of their uh, training, hands-on demo experiences were full all weekend long. Um, I definitely think that that was probably the biggest draw for the motorcycle audience. But we also... Um, you know, for those people that didn't want to get out and drive over the weekend and ride, we, we also um, had a moto party on Saturday night where we gave away prizes. We had live music, catered dinner, um, did a raffle. We also worked with the folks from um, Rever who came in and hosted the moto party for us and um, also put on a really cool Rever challenge for us. So it was not just for the motorcycle audience. It was even for the four-wheel drive audience where we were, setting up about 40 different points of interest all around the Flagstaff area and that region of the Southwest. And um, we encouraged all of our attendees to, to go out and visit some of those, and then we gave away prizes at the show.
1: You said it ex- exceeded your expectations. Is that in every way, like in attendance?
4: Yeah, I I think that it exceeded our expectations, not just with attendance um, from exhibitors and um, and just fans coming out to check out the show. but also just when we got to meet this community of people. Um, these people are awesome. They were just so excited to be there. Um, it was like it was like their Disneyland and we were the ones that got to create the Overland Disneyland. And that to me is the best part of event production is actually creating a place where passionate enthusiasts can come together and celebrate their passion, swap fab techniques, you know, talk about their travels and really just get inspired.
1: Wow. That's, that's very cool. I'm, I'm so jealous. I've got to get down there. There's got to be a year where I'm going to be able to block off the time and go to, Hey, do you have any, any plans on expanding Overland Expo to like Canada, Australia, the UK? Uh,
4: we would love to, that is in our, that is in our, um, I guess, couple year plans. We would love to expand in 2020, but it's all about finding the right part of the country. And um, most importantly, it's all about finding the right venue. You know, we don't want to take this event to a venue that is just a large-scale event venue. We would like to go somewhere that really has that camping ambiance and, um, you know, that's a destination because that's what we know our fans want to do. They want to go to a place that is a destination.
1: We've got Overland Expo East coming up. Um, What's the date on that?
4: Uh, Overland Expo East is October 11 through 13. That's in Arrington, Virginia. And it's kind of, you know, perfectly located in uh, that mid-Atlantic region, right in between Richmond and Roanoke, Virginia, but only 150 miles from D.C., about 100, or 150 to 200 miles from, um, from um, Charlotte. So we have all of these, like, great metro areas to pull from, you know, and then we also have a lot of that – military audience on the far east coast that we think that we will draw from. And then most importantly, the venue is dynamite. It is so beautiful and it is so event ready. The venue is called Infinity Downs and it hosts one of the largest music festivals on the East Coast called the Lock In Music Festival. And um, so not only is it picturesque and a destination hosted in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains. But it is also totally ready to host a cast of thousands for Overland Expo Weekend.
1: Well, I've already heard from many people that uh, this uh, Overland Expo West was uh, an amazing smash hit. But uh, anyway, Jessica, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you continue driving home. I just wanted to call and sort of find out what you <laughs> thought you. Of, of the first event. I didn't realize you're such an old hat at it either. I, I thought you were going to give me some sort of growing pains or something like that. But I didn't realize it, it, was, uh, it was something you're so well, so used to doing.
4: Well, and, and also, you know, our team, uh, we've also acquired events in the past, so we've been through um, that transition phase with an event, and um, we knew what to expect, and um, so we kind of headed some of those potential issues off at the past, and um, we ended up having a, an incredible relationship with Roseanne and Jonathan's team, the team that they had put in place years ago to manage Overland Expo. Um, but then we just threw in some of our you know expertise and knowledge and really it just was like the right recipe for an awesome show. Hey,
1: hey, before I let you go, did Roseanne and Jonathan come to the event?
4: Oh, absolutely. Roseanne and Jonathan both were so busy with training and hosting seminars and demonstrations that I barely even got to see them. So I think... We were all really busy all weekend long, but um, they've been um, heavily involved in the event planning um, throughout the last six months. Jonathan was still the, um, the editor of our source book, which is absolutely beautiful and almost twice as big as it was last year. I'll have to send one your way. Um, And then, you know, uh, Roseanne got to play more of the roles that she likes to play as a creative. And she was the, she was the managing editor and the, um, and the, Um, She was a lead designer on our source book. So we we got to spend a lot of time with them and help them, you know, spend some time doing more of the things that make them happy instead of running around managing people and running shows.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, that's great. Thanks very much, Jessica. I'll talk to you later.
4: Thanks. Have a good one. (laughs)
1: jessica Kirshner, the new owner of overland expo and in case you didn't pick up there the other people we were talking about uh rosanna jonathan we had them on the show they're the previous owners the, the people who started overland expo anyway i know we're talking about an event that already passed um it'll be run again next year but also they've got the as you heard us talking about there, overland expo east coming up at, in errington virginia on october 11 to 13 2019 and uh, and don't forget when you're getting your tickets with these things Uh, with Overland Expo, you have to buy them online. Don't uh, think that you're going to show up at the door. Anyway, we'll put a link in, in the show notes to that as well. that this episode has been brought to you in part by max bmw motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com also best rest products at www.cyclepump.com green chili adventure gear at greenchiliadv.com and motobreeze chain oilers at motobreeze.com hey you do us a great favor if anytime you're dealing with these companies anytime you see them anywhere you mention that you heard them here on adventure rider radio up another episode of adventure rider radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it thank you very much for being a part of the show and if you'd like to get more involved we would love to get your emails send us your emails with your thoughts about what you'd like to hear on the show what you've heard on the show even questions you may have from somebody that was on the show send them in to us drop by our website AdventureRiderRadio.com, and don't forget on that website is all the show notes for all the shows you'll see all kinds of photos in there and other information well worth dropping by and checking it out Obviously, I'm biased. And we have another show called ARR Raw that you should definitely be listening to. It's a once a month roundtable discussion that we do about motorcycle travel. Um, it's a more raw version of uh, a show than what this one is. And you'll have to subscribe to that separately. All our podcasts are available anywhere podcasts are found. My name is Jim Martin. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. See you next week.
0: from races to places and you're listening to adventure rider radio